Let us pray together. Loving God, we ask that you might bring us into your dream, your dream for the world as we know it, but more importantly, the dream of the world as you would have it be. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On this Sunday, when we reflect upon the ministry and vision of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I've been thinking a lot about how we continue that dream. He was arguably the prophet, the American prophet of the 20th century, someone who was not afraid to speak truth to power, who was not afraid to be jailed for his principles and purposes, not afraid to speak up and say what was right, even when it was unpopular. Not afraid to speak in poetic terms so that it might capture our hearts and minds and imaginations. And I chose the image on the cover of your order of worship because I'm very aware that Dr. King was not alone. He was a leader, but he was surrounded by other people who were born and encouraged to be prophets in their own right. And I wondered, what does it mean for you and me as people of faith to think of ourselves as prophets? Not lone voices in the wilderness as we often think of the traditional prophets, but prophets who support one another, prophets who speak up, prophets who are in solidarity with one another and with God. Now, prophets are not afraid to mix politics and faith, so let me start out by saying that on Friday, we are going to inaugurate to the highest office in the land, arguably the most powerful position in the world, someone who spent a lot of his campaign sounding like a boorish demagogue, not appealing to the better angels of our nature, as President Lincoln would have us do, but appealing to some of the basest elements of our culture. And we still have yet to see how that will unfold. We are seeing enough over the past month in appointments and decisions by Congress, but we have yet to see how it will affect all of us. If ever there was a time for prophets in our midst, I believe it is now. And I've wondered what it means to become that prophet. I'm aware that it's probably too much for any of us to think we would ever reach the scope of a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr or Desmond Tutu, but let us remember that they did not start out that way. I also remember what Walter Brueggemann, the great student of prophets, said that prophets have one thing in common, they have no credentials. They come out of ordinary people, people of faith, who stand up and learn to speak the truth and to be in tune with God. So what does it mean for you and me to become prophets where we live, where we work, where we breathe, in our families, in our schools, among our friends, in our towns, and our precincts, and our congressional districts, in our own ways with the gifts that God has given us? 
Now, I have to start out by saying that this sermon is still a work in progress, which is probably as it should be, and I hope it will be a work in progress with you. I'm going to give you some lists, which most preaching teachers will tell you is not the best way to preach. But you may want to write down some of the lists to think about them on your own as I'm continuing to think about them. But the first thing I would say about prophets is they live in the world of covenant, what it means to be in relationship, in agreement with one another. And they are less interested in the ideas of conservative and liberal or progressive and reactionary as they are about the relationship between God and human beings, between God the creator and all of us who are children of God. Now I'm aware that the beliefs in this room may range from the orthodox to the agnostic or the atheistic, and we all have our different conceptions of God, but I am always aware the more I think about God, that God is the one who set the sun and the stars and the planets in motion. God is the one who provided this earthly garden for us to tend and enjoy. God is the one who set our hearts and bodies at play. And that is still a mystery to theologians and scientists alike in terms of how that all works. But I want to know what it means for all that creative energy to which we were bestowed to be in right covenant with the Creator in the ways we live our lives here on earth. Just let alone to look out at the stars at night and wonder how this all came into being is enough to make you think there must be a God somehow. You only have to experience the death of another human being once to realize the miracle of our bodies to feel how quickly a body goes from warm to stone cold, how quickly it begins to deteriorate. You only have to experience that once to realize how fragile and truly wonderfully miraculous these constellations known as our bodies. And so the question to me about covenant is God who gave all of this to enjoy and as we're trying to figure out the reason of how we enjoy it or the why of how we enjoy it, How do we stay in tune with God and the promises of God? Second, I would say that prophets note within this covenant how God values humanity and wants all of God's children to thrive. This is the deepest commitment of that covenant, which is why the prophets are always calling us to check out how the widows and orphans are doing how the people who have the least among us, how they are faring in this world. Are we keeping our eyes out to the edges to see who is lost or soon to be snared by wolves coming out of the woods? How are we shepherds for one another and caring for all of God's children? So covenant, valuing humanity. And third, and this is the one I think where we all have work to do, Prophets hold steady to a strong vision of the world as God wants it to be. They spend a lot of time in that vision, in their private time, in their prayers, in their devotion, in their creativity. Just this morning, our children were in our parlor drawing pictures of what justice looks like, what God's kind of justice looks like. They were picking out poems and songs that resonate with that understanding. That's the kind of creative work that you and I are called to do as prophets, 
Prophets imagine worlds that maybe don't make a lot of rational sense, but they make a lot of imaginative sense, a lot of moral sense. A world where the lion lies down with the lamb, or where we let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We put those poetic visions out there and imagine what it means to live in them. Prophets say things like having a dream of a world where little black boys and girls hold hands with little white boys and girls and sing the old spiritual free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Prophets steep themselves in this imaginative possibility daily, hourly, regularly, so that then they have some vision they can articulate. I was once told in learning to be an actor in a song, if you're trying to tell a story in a song and you don't know what the tablecloth on the table looks like, or what the light in the room looks like, or how people interact with each other's eyes, if you don't imagine that in the song or story you're trying to tell, there's no way for the people hearing you to get it. And so you and I are called to think regularly of what it means to have a world where all faiths are honored where all children have access to education and affordable health care, where all people can walk the streets freely and not fear being harmed or prejudiced against because of their beliefs or the color of their skin or the way they dress. Fourth, prophets are not afraid to mix politics and faith. They are not afraid to speak God's kind of truth to those with power. The magic of the I Have a Dream speech, I think the reason it captures our imaginations so much is because Dr. King quoted just as much from Scripture as he did from the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. He tried to get us down to the basic standards which we have committed ourselves to as people of faith and as people who are citizens. Ten years ago, I heard then-candidate Barack Obama speaking to the United Church of Christ denomination. And he put it this way, doing the Lord's work is a thread that runs through our politics since the very beginning. And it puts to lie the notion that separation of church and state in America means faith should have no role in public life. Imagine Lincoln's second inaugural address without its reference to the judgments of the Lord, or King's High Have a Dream speech without its reference to all of God's children, or President Kennedy's inaugural without the words, here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. At each of these junctures, by summoning a higher truth and embracing a universal faith, our leaders inspired ordinary people to achieve extraordinary things. He went on to say that somewhere, somehow, faith got stopped being used in a way to bring us together, but often used as a way to drive us apart. It got hijacked. He talked about how the religious right did this, disrespecting some of our values in a country that religious Americans care only about issues like abortion and gay marriage, about school prayer and intelligent design. But he asked us in this speech to remember that we are our brother's keeper, we are our sister's keeper, and it's not just enough that we believe this, but we do our part to make it a reality.
Faith teaches us that we can sit in church and pray all we want, but we won't be fulfilling God's will until we go out and do the Lord's work. So a sense of covenant, a sense of valuing all of God's children, a sense of not being afraid to mix politics and faith, of holding a strong vision of the world as God wants it to be, and finally, a willingness to have courageous conversations, to speak openly and honestly about the situation, the world, the truth as we see it. Yesterday morning, we sat in groups with the City Mission Society Martin Luther King Day of service, and we talked about what courage means. Courage means walking forward even though you have fear. Courage means stepping up, telling the truth. And we talked in my group about what the impediments to courage are. Sometimes it's fear of judgment. Sometimes it's fear of threats. Sometimes it's fear that you don't have all the facts. Sometimes it's fear that you will be shouted down. One member of our group, a teenager, said, sometimes it's the fear that you'll be all alone. We remembered what Dr. King said about this, that courage is an inner resolution to go forward despite the obstacles. Courage breeds creativity. Cowardice, on the other hand, represses fear and is mastered by it. Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But our consciences, our connection to God, we ask the question, is it right? And there comes a time when we must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but one must take it because it is right. Now, I like to think that here in church, we can be a school for prophetic witness, that we can dig down into the ancient agreements and standards of our covenant with God, the way they've been put forth in scripture. We can talk among ourselves of how we understand God and the work of Christ working in this world and together encourage one another to be prophets, prophetic voices, voices of truth on the side of God. I'm going to give you another list here, which you can look up on the internet from Jim Wallace, that progressive evangelical, who talks about what it means for us going forward to be prophetic, to stand up for our Christian faith in the upcoming and current political environment. He says we need to engage in legislative and legal decision-making, mixing our faith and politics. We need to mobilize our churches, like going to the Women's March on Saturday. We need to use the media and social media for moral purposes, not for forwarding fake news or for our own prejudices. We need to stand up, he says, to hateful words and acts in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, being willing to have the courage to do that. He says, just as prophets and prophetic people in past times have done, we need to prepare for civil disobedience because it may come for some of us. And finally, he says, we need to be willing to take action, just as we've been doing on talking with our legislators about ending mass incarceration, about climate issues, 
about what it means to value every child of God. You can find all this information at the Sojourners website, which Jim Wallace and his people maintain as a substance for people who want to be prophets in our midst. These are not easy choices for us. I believe they are always our choices, but I believe that right now we may need to redouble our efforts. I think it will be more important for us to come together in worship and in community to talk about what's most important to us, to talk about where our worries are, to talk about the headlines, and see what it is that God might have us do, what it means to follow Christ into the world, what it means to find our prophetic voice, our God-given voice, and to use it for the good of the world. Amen.